we'd like to thank you, our valued listeners, for your interest and support over the past 18-odd months. What was initially FX Radio has grown exponentially to include not just our podcasts in FX Medicine Podcast Central on iTunes, but we'd like to also introduce the recently launched FX Medicine website. This is our reservoir of resources, research and educational content for complementary medicine. Come and be a part of the community at fxmedicine.com.au. FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And with me in the studio today is Belinda Reynolds, who's a dietitian with over 15 years' experience in the integrative medicine industry. She's an acclaimed senior educator with Bioceuticals, who regularly presents to audiences throughout Australia and New Zealand. And she's known for her practical and easy style, bringing complex biochemical processes into an easily digestible format with practical clinical applications. And I welcome you today, Belle. Thank you, Andrew. Great to be here again. Now, Belinda, today we're going to be talking about something that a lot of practitioners get confused over, and that's the organisms of our gut Mm -hmm. and when they produce D or L lactate. Mm -hmm. And we all know what, well, we should know what lactic acid is. Talk to me first about the acids that the various organisms in our gut make to protect us against um, the overgrowth of pathogens and and other organisms that might want to invade our our body? Sure. So throughout the gastrointestinal tract and also throughout many areas of the body, we have uh, a huge number of different microbes uh, that are inhabiting these areas. And what they do, uh, or one of the things that they do, is they ferment certain compounds. Uh, For example, in the gut, they'll be fermenting carbohydrates and fibres. And as a byproduct of this fermentation process, uh, they'll produce a number of different metabolites and short-chain fatty acids, such as lactic acid, propionic acid, butyric acid, succinic acid, uh, are all uh, some very good examples of these. And they're very beneficial for us and they're quite essential, really, for maintenance of good health. To give an example, um, within the gastrointestinal tract, some of these short-chain fatty acids can be used to fuel uh, the replication and renewal of the epithelial cells that line that gastrointestinal tract in order to maintain its health and its integrity. In addition to this, some of the short-chain fatty acids can actually be absorbed into the circulation and they can uh, support a healthy mitochondrial function throughout the body, Uh, but also to locally in the gastrointestinal tract. uh, These short-chain fatty acids can assist in maintaining a low pH, which uh, provides an environment which is less than ideal for the overgrowth of potentially harmful microbes. So it helps to keep uh, things in balance, if you like. However, uh, what some research has started to suggest is that if we have an overproduction of certain acids or certain short-chain fatty acids, such as D-lactate, this can lead to an undesirable shift into a more 
acidic environment than that which is ideal. And as a result, this can actually compromise the integrity of the gastrointestinal tract wall and therefore allowing uh, not only the passage of gram-negative endotoxins into the body, which can elicit uh, really inflamed uh, inflammatory responses uh, throughout the body, uh, but also to uh, you get an increased passage of these acids such as D-lactate into the body and due to uh, a reduced ability of the body to metabolize these acids, they can start to interfere with normal metabolism and cause a range of uh, symptoms. So so what is it, do you think, that causes the overproduction of D-lactate and how big an issue really is it? So there seems to be uh, varying opinions and uh, some older literature uh is quite contradictory to mm. some of the results of the, the newer literature. Uh, in the past, it was believed that uh, certain lactobacilli species were the main culprit in overproduction of D-lactate. Uh, however, more recent studies uh, have shown that it's more enterococci and streptococci species which are more likely the culprits in this overproduction of D-lactate. But again, it's not the mere presence of these species which are the concern. It's an overgrowth of them due to a local imbalance. So just to give you an example, uh, normally uh, E. coli are a dominant species within the gastrointestinal tract. And in the face of a poor diet, uh, a history of antibiotic use or, or other factors, what can happen is that we get lower numbers of E. coli, which would normally keep um, the levels of the enterococci and streptococci species under control. What happens in the absence of sufficient E. coli is that these microbes may flourish. And because they're what is known as homo-fermentative, they produce purely D-lactate. Mm -hmm. And that can result in an overproduction of D-lactate and a lactic acidosis, I guess, um, within the gastrointestinal tract. The difference between these species and the lactobacilli species, which were previously considered to be the culprit, is that lactobacilli species are what, is, what are known as uh, a heterofermentative type microbe. And what that means is that even though, yes, they do produce D-lactate, they also produce primarily L-lactic acid, um, but also a range of other beneficial metabolites and uh, other compounds such mm. as carbon dioxide and also ethanol. The other issue that we need to also consider here is it's it's a balancing act. What we need to be doing is not so much just going in and directly killing off or purely avoiding any microbe that produces D-lactate. What we more need to be looking at is restoring the balance because beneficial species such as the lactobacilli and bifidobacterium species actually have the ability to convert D-lactate produced by other organisms into different compounds or more beneficial short-chain fatty mm. acids. So what we're really seeing in these situations of high D-lactic acid in the gastrointestinal tract and then passing into the body is more an issue of, of balance. The other factors which do seem to contribute to this overproduction of D-lactic acid are uh, poor gastrointestinal motility. So the longer... Uh, these microbes have, these homofermentative microbes have, uh, to ferment substances in the gut and produce these 
this D-lactic acid, the greater the issue will be. So not only do we need to be ensuring a restoration of balance of microbes in the gut, we also need to make sure we're keeping the bowels moving and that can assist in reducing this situation from occurring. E. coli can actually assist with healthy bowel movements and therefore by providing uh, a diet which is rich in the prebiotic fibres that feed E. coli and other beneficial microorganisms, uh, this in itself can assist in addressing this issue of uh, potential uh, lactic acidosis, I guess. And and the lactic acidosis... So- I think that one of the main messages is we always decry the medical profession for being reductionist. And what I fear is that because of a lack of understanding of the the complexity of the microbiota of the human gut, that we want a switch mechanism. D-lactic acid is therefore bad because I saw it in that Mm. condition without giving it the due diligence or or the due reverence to the, the proliferative nature of the organisms in the gut, the natural commensals of the gut, which produce a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So it's the overproduction plus maybe combined with a physical abnormality like in the short bowel syndrome. Yes. Yeah, so it's in short bowel syndrome that this delactic acidosis really has been observed and in a few other sort of uh, small uh, isolated cases. Yeah. Uh, the the reason that um, the lactic acidosis has started uh, to be suggested as a culprit in uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia is that they exhibit rather similar um, set of symptoms. Uh, however, it's it's interesting though because lactobacillus acidophilus is one such organism which does produce some D-lactic acid along with lactate, um, and therefore based on the hypothesis that you should avoid all D-lactate-producing microorganisms in the face of chronic fatigue syndrome, um, is uh, you could sort of consider that to be incorrect, considering the fact that there is some research to suggest combinations of probiotics, which include lactobacillus acidophilus, to be in fact, beneficial mm. <laughs> for addressing some of the symptoms of chronic fatigue syndrome. So, again, we we need to take a step back and look at the the big picture. Uh, the other issue, actually, that I, I should mention too, is that it's when we have huge intakes of the sugars that feed the delactate-producing uh, microorganisms, where you're likely to get um, a problem with the the delactate. Uh, so, things such as Uh, glucose, fructose, and also lactose um, should be avoided in high amounts in anyone presenting with the potential symptoms of uh, this this acidosis, and that will assist in uh, preventing the occurrence. So avoid those sugars, keep the bowels moving, uh, consume prebiotic fibres, ensure the maintenance of good microbial diversity, and also ensure uh, maintenance of good gut integrity. Because it's when you have that leaky gut, um, as it's often referred to, is when you'll also get the passage of those endotoxins, uh, which cause an inflammatory response throughout the body, which again presents very similarly to the acidosis and also the chronic fatigue syndrome. So uh, we need to consider that it's it's an inflammatory response here that could potentially be an issue as well. And I might just point out for our listeners uh, a couple of papers. Um, the first one, and I'm going to stumble on her name, but Julia 
Ewaschuk, so E-W-A-S-C-H-U-K, is the author, one of the authors, and um, the title is D-Lactate in Human and Ruminant Metabolism, Journal of Nutritional Journal of Nutrition in 2005. And that one talks about the historical um, issues where they they first blamed the organisms and, and then found that indeed some organisms of the human gut could indeed metabolize the D-lactate. Um, the second one on chronic fatigue is uh, by John Sheedy and others, and it's increased D-lactic acid intestinal bacteria in patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is in in vivo 2009. And one of the authors there was Henry Butt, uh, an author, a doctor of uh, some renown in dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome in Australia. The other thing I'd like to point out to, uh, to our listeners is that you can now get E. coli, which traditionally was a... Um, it, it failed by default because that was one of the contaminants that you were testing for, so you couldn't put mm. it into probiotics. But you can now get E. coli in Australia. So I urge our practitioners to use that uh, organism in their repertoire as well, along with the diet. But I think, again, we come back to this holistic approach. We, we should, we've got to stop thinking of things as a switch. Yes. Nature is never a switch. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about the organisms that produce L-lactate and what we can use and, and and what sort of dietary interventions you use in, in patients? Sure. So again, the, the key thing uh, for me is ensuring maintenance or uh, development of that healthy microbial diversity. So even if you do provide a probiotic in a supplement, uh, it can't undo a terrible diet. So the first thing that we need to do is is correct that diet and encourage uh, the consumption of healthy fibres, minimise the consumption of any of the uh, sugars that could potentially be feeding or causing uh, an imbalance within the, the microbiota, within the gastrointestinal tract. So when we are looking at doing a probiotic, I tend to always go for something which is broad spectrum, uh, and that is that contains a combination of different lactobacilli and uh, bifidobacterium species uh, in order to ensure that there's uh, the, the, the patient is uh, obtaining the benefits of a broad range of different uh, bacterial species. And it can always be a good idea too to, to mix it up and use different different products, uh, which again helps to really achieve that that diversity. Um, when we look at the research, where uh, we're identifying what type of microbiota uh, increases an individual's risk of different uh, immune related diseases, it's generally that lack of diversity, which is the main the main culprit. So, I'm not so much for going in with a, a single strain, but more looking at um, that restoration of the diversity. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the research on single strain is for a, a defined condition, yes. for a defined population, for a defined period in a defined country. But <laughs> um, and, uh, and that the research on those individual strangers is fantastic. And it's not to say not to use them at all. No. Um, it, there's, it's great research. It's really exciting. And it's awesome to see uh, that we have specific uh, microbial species and strains that are able to produce a beneficial response. But I'd also look at not only using those strains, but also going in with a variety of others. And again, feeding them. Uh, if we don't feed them, they won't survive. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hear, hear to what you said. I, um, some people, again, want that switch. Oh, so you're against? No, I'm not. I'm against strain only. Mm. 
Um, I'm not against strain at all. I fully intend that it's used mm. for, for those specific um, parameters which have been studied. Um, so what about things like good fats in our diet? You know, avocado, fish oils. What else? Are, MCT. Oh, they're, they're absolutely essential. And for too long, people have been too afraid of, of fats. Um, they, they provide uh, anti-inflammatory benefit, which is of great use um, for a huge variety of different chronic conditions. Um, the MCTs uh, are quite interesting in that uh, they're uh, broken down and, and taken up very differently from the other triglycerides. Uh, and they can be utilised um, to produce energy, but particularly are fantastic for the brain. So if we're looking at conditions uh, that are associated with uh, cognitive impairments um, and uh, central nervous system difficulties, the the, M, the MCTs can actually be really beneficial. Uh, in a certain subset of patients with Alzheimer's disease, it has been found that there is an issue with glucose metabolism in the brain uh, and utilising a medium-chain triglyceride supplement actually assisted in improving um, some cognitive-type uh, uh, symptoms. So in addition to that, though, uh, certain medium-chain triglycerides such as caprylic acid, uh, C8, uh, has been found to be very beneficial in actually uh, helping with addressing pathogenic overgrowth uh, in the body. I actually wonder if it might be a twofold action because you're looking at that um, caprylic acid um, suppressing overgrowth of certain organisms. Mm -hmm. Um, yeast being one of them. But the other thing is if you've got a, a fat that's being burnt as a carbohydrate and so it's going to provide you with that fast energy, isn't it therefore going to enable you to avoid those sugars, which you would ordinarily in, um, take for a hit, if you like, you know, for the afternoon hit? So I'm, I'm just wondering whether it might be also uh, be used to help to get people off those sugars which are damaging the gut and causing bacterial overgrowth. Yeah, it's a, definitely a great idea. Um because they can provide that that rapid sort of supply of energy and easily available um, source of energy, it could definitely be a, an, an ideal option uh, for supporting that that cognition and uh, the levels of energy that are that people feel um, in the absence of those sugars that they've been so used to um, as the main source of of energy. One of the other things that. Uh, I get a bit uppity about, I think, is we've got a, a patient who's been on a bad diet and they've mm -hmm. got bacterial overgrowth or dysbiotic dysbiosis, and then they want to change a bacteria, but they don't want any change in symptoms. So you're going to feed your bacteria with fibres that you haven't had, mm -hmm. and yet you don't want any symptoms of wind or something like that. And I just think it's an unrealistic expectation. I think in a lot of patients, if you forewarn them, you're going to have a period where your tummy is going to be upset because it's actually resetting yeah. from a bad diet. Um, you're going to have this, you know, wind issue and maybe burping, bloating for a while. Don't don't be upset by that. Just just work through it. Maybe monitor the dose rather than giving giving up on the whole regime. Yes, I think that is really important to give people that that warning that there may be some mild gastrointestinal symptoms. They may experience some mild bloating and or uh, an increase in bowel movements temporarily, uh, but let them know that it is a normal part of the process uh, and it will get better and it's a sign things are working and that there's a shift in their the the status of the the microbiome in their gut uh, and that will then reduce the likelihood of them ceasing 
any sort of treatment um, because they think they're having uh, bad side effects that they shouldn't be. Uh, the use of Saccharomyces boulardii is probably a very good example of that. Uh, when you have that yeast moving through the gastrointestinal tract and potentially uh, competitively uh, inhibiting the adherence of certain um, pathogens, uh, if they're lifting up off the gut wall and moving into the lumen, that can result in an osmotic gradient and you may experience a more rapid, um, or sorry, more frequent bowel movements. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, just more a, a normal part of the course. However, uh, it can impact an individual's quality of life and that there may definitely be the need to, to back off just a little bit uh, and go a bit more gently uh, for some individuals. But you, yes, you're absolutely right. But I caution those practitioners who have the switch mentality that does not mean you get diarrhea. In, no, <laughs> indeed, that's Saccharomyces right. normalises but, diarrhea um, and even yes. um, idiopathic diarrhea. Yes. One point I'd just like to make for our listeners is that Jeff Leach, who spent a year living with the Hadza tribe in Africa, um, to learn about the diversity of the microbiota that this tribe has, noted that the younger generation um, always had distended stomachs. Now, they had a majorly plant-based diet, and he put this down to the fermentation that was going on in their guts. That wasn't an issue, and certainly that didn't lead to more wind, certainly not later on in life, indeed. Um, Jeff Leach said that when he came back to his US home, um, he farted a lot less. <laughs> and so it was one of those practical things that we need to get back to a plant-based diet, but give it time to normalise. So in wrapping up, Belinda, what can you say to our practitioners about how we should be approaching this issue of DNL lactate and what we can do to help our patients? So I think that the main issue is to first avoid first of all sorry avoid that that perfect storm which could result in an overproduction of D-lactate um, and that is a situation where you have a microbial imbalance. So first of all, uh, we need to ensure that we're recommending a diet uh, which is rich in those prebiotic fibres uh, which help to maintain microbial balance and feed the E. coli and feed uh, the huge variety of different hetero-fermentative uh, beneficial microorganisms uh, that will help to not only suppress the overproduction of D-lactate but will also assist in enhancing the metabolism of that delactate. We also need to ensure that um, we're potentially providing a, a multi-strain type probiotic to restore that balance. Um, that will not only assist again in suppressing that overproduction and enhancing the metabolism of the delactate, uh, but through that enhanced production of the beneficial short-chain fatty acids, we're assisting in maintaining good intestinal integrity to prevent the passage of some unwanted things into the body, which could cause inflammation, uh, interfere with mitochondrial function and sort of express itself as chronic fatigue type um, syndromes. We also need to ensure that the, the bowels are moving. So again, that fibre is really essential. So too is good hydration. Uh, and activity, physical activity, of course, is essential there as well. That in itself can assist with certain symptoms. Um, and Further to that, uh, ensuring a good nutritional status is, of course, really important for maintaining the integrity of the gut and also enhancing other factors locally there too, such as healthy production of secretory IgA, uh, which prote uh, protects against uh, pathogen overgrowth, which can, again, contribute to that lactic acidosis. Um, so... 
generally, yes, it's all about, again, taking a step back and looking at the big picture and doing what we know works. And through doing that, we're very likely to assist patients in uh, achieving uh, at least a reduction in their symptoms. Belinda Reynolds, I love the way that you take something that can be seemingly so complex and so confusing and and compact it down into a nice workable sort of focus for practitioners. Thank you so much for taking us through all of those issues that may be impacting lactic acidosis caused by delactic or delactate producing organisms and helping us get back some balance, practical balance into patients' lives. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been great. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today on FX Medicine, please engage with us and let us know what further topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in contact with us through our website, fxmedicine.com.au, or look for FX Medicine in your favourite social media platform. You can also rate and review us on iTunes, and we'd really like to thank those who have already rated us. It's through your continued support that enables us to bring you current, complex and relevant topics to enhance your practice of natural medicine.